Hello, everybody. Welcome to a, another edition of your weekly baseball podcast. This is Two Strike Noise. I am one of your hosts, Jeff Paulson. Sitting in the comfortable Seattle studios is my co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, how are you doing today? Man, I am. I'm just excited to talk about baseball. That's what we're going to do today, right? So I'm going to give you an out should you not want to talk about baseball this week. Uh, the A's just completed a four-game series in Houston, and so it inspired me that I thought maybe instead of talking about baseball, we could just sit here for an hour and woo as if Josh Reddick is at the plate. Man, I, yeah, you know, I don't have uh, I don't have any liquids to tide me over uh, because I will need a couple gallons of some form of liquid to keep me going for an hour going woo. Yeah, you know, I like it. I like it. It's a it's a homage to to Nature Boy Ric Flair because yes. Josh Reddick's a big wrestling fan. But if Reddick is not at the plate or has not just done something in the outfield, let's not do that. <laughs> that is that is annoying. The whole game, enough. That was just my little soapbox because Astro fans l- like to complain about the drums in Oakland. Yeah, so. yeah, he can he can have his woos, but uh, let's let's keep it to when he actually does something. I, I like the idea. Let's do that. So, a couple of things we wanted to talk about. Let's uh, let's jump into our BP segment before we get into uh, into the game here today. For the uh, first time since 2011, something this year is happening that has not happened for what? That's that's eight seasons now. Yep. The Boston Red Sox are not going to finish either first or last in the American League East. Really? Yeah. Since I... 2011, they have either finished, well, they finished third in 2011. After that, they've either finished first or last every single year since. It's a team of extremes. That is. So, like, 2012, they they finished last. Then they won the World Series the next year. Then the next, next two years, they finished last. And then the last three years, they have won the AL East, including, of course, the World Series last year. So. Wow, baseball is a streaky team, but uh, that's a quick turnaround. It's really weird that they would be, like you said, so extreme, but... I'm I'm happy they they seem to have fallen out of the wild card race, so it's really just a three car a three team race in the American League now. Hey, I'm also pulling for your A's. All right, so we talked about yeah, we we brought back first of all second best last week, and uh, we talked about pranks, baseball pranks. We skipped over one of the absolute best baseball pranks of all time, and I I, I just wanted to, to bring it up because I had forgotten about it. I will link in the show notes a YouTube movie that was made about this prank. This happened uh, in 2013. It took place in El Paso with the El Paso Chihuahuas, or as Les Nessman would say, the El Paso Chihuahuas. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Jeff Francoeur. You remember Jeff Francoeur? Of course. uh, Came up with the Braves. He's a Braves announcer now, but he came up with the Braves Spent some time in a couple other teams. Well, he played pretty much the entire season for the Chihuahuas in 2013. And you want to talk about a long con. Relief pitcher Jorge Reyes <laughs> played a prank on Jeff Francoeur the entire season. He and his teammates convinced Francoeur that Jorge Reyes was deaf. <laughs> so, at no point when Jeff Francoeur was around would Jorge Reyes speak. If anybody called his name or anything, he would not turn his head. 
One time during BP, he was out shagging balls in the outfield with Francoeur and wasn't looking and a fly ball was headed towards him and everybody is yelling his name, but because he's pretending to be deaf, he didn't move and almost got hit by the ball. (laughs) He could not listen to music on the road trips, you know, when they're on a bus or on a plane, didn't use a headset. And that is Just, dedication to They prank, saw this thing through until at the very end of the season, they played this video that they had made about this prank for Jeff Francoeur. And in it, Jorge Reyes is actually speaking. Is, he's like, I'm not deaf. I, you know, <laughs> just being his normal self. And they've got a, a video camera on Jeff Francoeur and his mouth is just like just dropped open and he cannot believe <laughs> And I mean, he he took it really well, but they played him the entire season. He thought that that he was deaf. Wow. (laughs) You know what I call that? Dedication to comedy right there. That is. And please check out the show notes. Go watch the video. It's about 10 minutes long and it is it's good stuff. uh, Just watching Jeff Francoeur getting taken advantage of. (laughs) That's, That's good stuff. You're right. How did we miss that? I don't know. I saw that video, you know, probably a year or so ago. And I I remember just thinking it was hilarious. But I yeah, that's my bad. We also talked a couple of episodes ago about how many father and son pairs Nolan Ryan had struck out over his career. Yeah. There's another list for a contemporary player that is retiring this year. I am talking about CeCe Sabathia. So unlike Nolan's list... This is just, these are just guys that he's faced, not actually struck out because the list isn't quite as long and I needed to make this part of the segment. So, (laughs) so he has not struck out both the father and son here, but he has faced them both. First, we've got the Delino DeShields. Of course, the, you know, father Delino DeShields, I think of him with the Expos more than anybody, but he played for a lot of people. And now Delino DeShields Jr., who is on the Rangers. So he's faced both of them. Uh, the Mondeses, Raul, oh, the yeah, Adalberto. Adalberto. Yes. Yeah, that's a hard one for my tongue to do there. Adalberto is on the Royals right now. Of course, Raul Mondesi came up with the Dodgers, and I'm sure he played with he played on the Yankees. I'm sure at some point. I think everybody did during the early 2000s. Yeah, I, I think it was a requirement. Uh, Youngs, the Youngs. So Eric Young and Eric Young Jr. You know. I got to admit, the whole time I thought that was one guy. And he played for 40 years. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's terrible. Uh, well, here's another one. The Guerreros, Vlad and Vlad Jr. Yeah, there you go. He has not yet faced uh, Bo Bichette this year. But the Yankees do play the Blue Jays three more times this season. So oh. there is a chance that he will have faced Bo Bichette and uh, Dante Bichette, his father. Nice. The Yankees did not face the Padres this year, so he did not get the chance to face Fernando Tatis Jr. Of course, he did face his his father, Fernando Tatis, who I I don't remember who he did. He come up with the the Cardinals or the I Rangers. Pictured him as a Cardinal. But. Yeah, and I think he was on the Dodgers for a short bit too. I and I remember three home runs. Yep. Or was it was it three home runs in one game, and then didn't he hit like two grand slams? Two grand slams. And, in the same, same inning. inning. Yes. Yeah. That's that that helps your RBI that's total. Be, right yeah, there. and that's gonna be a tough record to break. You know, three grand slams in one inning. It's <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go out on that, a limb and say that's not gonna happen for a bit. Uh Derek Rodriguez has not faced the Yankees 
in a National League park. Of course, that's Pudge Rodriguez's son, who's a pitcher for the Giants. So that one probably is not going to happen. And Cody Bellinger did not face CC Sabathia this year. Uh, Clay Bellinger, his father, appeared in a game that CC pitched on on June 27th, 2011, or 2001, excuse me, but he did not get a hit or an at-bat in that game. So he didn't technically face him, but he was in the same game. So that's a that's a good list, though, of, of father-son duos that CC Spathia has at least appeared in a game with. Pretty yeah, long. I hadn't even thought about that. That's impressive. You know what it also brought to light was just how many baseball players insist on naming their sons the same name as them. Yeah, that's it's a, a lot of juniors. Yeah. Delano DeShields Jr., Eric Young Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr. I've never named any of my children after me. Of course, they've all been dogs. And Mark is an odd name for a dog because it sounds like, you know, a dog with a hair lip in the first place. I love dogs that have just normal human names. Yes, I used to have a dog named Steve. Yeah, I had, I had a fish named Steve collectively. Nice. Beautiful. Uh, All right, let's get to our debut segment. So this uh, podcast, this episode is debuting on September 17th, and I have got a list for you today. We're going to have to do this quick because it is long, but I could not leave any of these guys out. You'll see why. Okay. First, uh, debuting on this day in 1906, Eddie Collins debuted for the Philadelphia Athletics, a second baseman. He was an MVP in 1914 won the World Series four times, and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1939. He uh, is a career leader still in career sacrifices in wow. MLB. <laughs> Laid down more bunts than anybody else in baseball history. Well, you know, it's a lost art. Yeah, so 512 bunts he laid down that is almost an entire season's worth of at bats that <laughs> he did not i didn't expect you to say that many okay it was a lost art now it's just i feel like it's been overplayed 512 that is a lot of bunt science uh, he ended his career with a 124 war and a 144 wrc plus so eddie collins wow. uh it, that that bunt I, I couldn't with the bunt. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, so I'm going to put him on there. But the, the bunt thing had me. Uh, making his debut in 1912, Mr. Casey Stengel for oh, the Brooklyn wow. Dodgers. Nice. He uh, ended his career with seven World Series wins as a manager mm-hmm. and another one as a player on the 1922 Yankees. He was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1966. Finished with a 22 war and a 120 WRC+. plus. Now, this one I, I overlooked. I was looking over this list of names, and somehow I didn't see him until I double-checked my list and, and also read something on Twitter. Uh, 1941, Stan the Man Musial makes his debut. Stan the Man is afraid of the dark? I've told you that before, right? Yeah, I think you did tell me yeah. that. Yeah, I was, he was afraid of the dark. Anyway, go on. He was one of the greatest ever. All right, so 1941, Stan Musial makes his debut with the Cardinals. He played 22 years in the big leagues, all of them in St. Louis. He ended up with 3,630 hits. That is a lot. Uh, He also lost a year to military service in 1945. He was named MVP three times in 1943, 46, and 48, and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1969. 
<laughs> this was his career slash line. 331, 417, 559. Goodness sakes. That is incredible. And he finished with a 158 WRC+. Plus. So 158. Stan Musial. Wow. Uh, next, 1953, Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, made his debut. I'm guessing you can guess with which team he debuted. Uh, the Rockies? Oh, wait. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Cubs. Yeah, you're, you, you are right. It is the Cubs. The Hall of Fame shortstop, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1977. He won two MVPs back-to-back in 58 and 59. Finished with a 63 war and a 118 WRC+. Then uh, again, just these names are incredible. 1955, making his debut today, Brooks Robinson for the Orioles, the wow. Hall of Fame third baseman. He went in in 1983, won two World Series in 66 and 70, was the MVP in 64, and won 16 gold gloves. Wow. 16. Yeah. He, he, from what I have been told, he was insanely good at yes. defense. This one I had to throw in there. Uh, 1988, Mark Lemke makes his debut for the Braves. Mm-hmm. One, just because it's Mark Lemke, but also I, you might have heard this stat before. It's kind of crazy. Mark Lemke had 3,664 plate appearances over his career, never hit by a pitch. I had not heard that. He's like the anti Don Baylor. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Uh, year 2000, Jimmy Rollins. Rollins. Jimmy Rollins made his debut with the Phillies, MVP in 2007, won the World Series in 2008. And finally, I just wanted to mention, because he is the only one still playing, in 2005, Nelson Cruz made his debut today. Do you know who Nelson Cruz came up with? Nelson Cruz. You know, I don't. The Brewers. I I had no idea. (laughs) He played one year, and then he was traded to Texas, then Baltimore, Seattle, and now Minnesota. He uh, has 395 uh, career home runs, a 131 WRC plus, and of course, one PED suspension. So, you know, I, I think about Nelson Cruz is he doesn't hit any tape measure home runs because there's not a long enough tape measure. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So that, like I said, that is quite a list of uh, people making their debuts today. I wanted to get those in. So now what do you say we let the grounds crew do their thing and we'll wrap up BP and we'll head into uh, head into the first inning of the uh, the game here. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. So we have flipped a coin. Mark was the winner and elected to uh, defer, actually. So I am going to go first uh, this week. And I have had this subject in mind for a while and then i i keep seeing guys this this last week both mike trout and christian yelich ended their season with injuries which was unfortunate because they were kind of the front runners to be mvp in in their respective leagues yeah that's a major bummer man yeah so i thought about injuries and since this is two strike noise we're not going to just talk about injuries we're going to talk about some of the strangest injuries that players have suffered in Major League Baseball. And there have been a lot of strange injuries, freak injuries that have landed players on the DL, now the IL. And it seems that this this happens more in baseball, I think, than other sports. And, and certainly the kind of injuries that land guys on the DL, and I'm just going to call it the DL for the sake of the show, the, the kind of injuries that land them there are definitely unique to baseball. You don't see a lot of guys getting their fingers cut up by drones like Trevor Bauer in the NFL. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. I don't I don't know if 
NFL players are smarter than baseball players or what? But uh, don't forget uh, breaking your, your leg on home plate, celebrating a walk-off home run a la Kendra's Morales. That, not smart, not good. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. And, and then I wanted to talk about the Mariners as well. They seem to have an intestinal fortitude issue. So we know about Mitch Haniger this year and his unfortunate injury. We ruptured a testicle when he fouled a pitch off. Yeah. You know, what in making matters worse is when he was sent to the Modesto Nuts for rehab. That yes. was that not was, cool. It, that seemed yeah. non-PC. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you remember that Ken Griffey Jr. suffered an injury in the same, shall we say, region? He had a cup slip and it pinched his stuff and wow. he had to miss a game because of that. Ah, ah, that just sounds awful. So I'm going to kind of go backwards here. We'll we'll start with kind of some of the newer ones and, and work backwards through some ones and see if you remember some of these because some of them were rather memorable. Uh, of course, this year we had one of the oddest ones where Carlos Correa from the Astros sustained a broken rib while getting a massage. <laughs> Insert your happy ending jokes here. <laughs> Go back to uh, 2017 and Madison Bumgardner. Remember, he missed two months after during an off day in Denver. He rented a dirt bike, which is, I I believe, generally frowned upon for a, a team starting ace pitcher. Yeah, he rented a dirt bike and had an accident where he actually bruised some ribs and sprained his pitching shoulder. Bad idea. Yeah. Now, if you remember, this is not the first dirt bike related accident that is sidelined a key giant superstar. If you uh, remember everybody's favorite grumpy second baseman, Jeff Kent, in 2002, the All-Star hurt his wrist and claimed that he hurt it while trying to wash his truck and fell out of it. But it was later discovered that he was actually trying to do a wheelie on his dirt bike and crashed and hurt himself. Well, that was a brilliant move. Yeah, well, Jeff Kent, I'm not sure Jeff Kent would really be described as a scholar by any. I think he's one of our favorite listeners, too, so. Oh, I, hey, not hey, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Jeff. Come on the show. Really, we'll talk. We'll talk it out. Twenty thirteen, Francisco Liriano of the Pittsburgh Pirates. He broke his arm by slamming a door on himself in an attempt to scare his kids on Christmas. Because <laughs> there's nothing quite, you know, like a good scare on Christmas morning. Well, I tell you what, man. He ruined Christmas and he ruined the baseball season all in one door slam. Well, yeah, that door slam, that injury cost him $11 million in guaranteed money. And he ruined his bank account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go back now to 2007. Here's a name I hadn't heard probably since 2007. Coy Hill for the Cubs. Hill was a catcher who also enjoyed woodworking in his spare time, which you can guess that's <laughs> not a good good hobby to be as a, as a baseball player. Yeah. Hill had an accident with a table saw that resulted in him losing three fingers and a thumb on his throwing hand. Also, not a good outcome if you're a catcher. Ouch. Yeah, and be careful because remember Moogie, our sound guy Moogie, oh, yeah. he doesn't have any yeah. thumbs, so don't. That's right. He cannot give you the thumbs up if things are going well. So this is, right. I mean, that's just one of the side effects. So his digits were reattached at the hospital, and he was back in uniform the next season. And uh, apparently somebody had asked him about it during an interview, and he said that he'd probably simply have the fingers surgically removed once his playing career was over. <laughs> so okay. I don't know if it was painful or I don't know why you would do that exactly, but he played for 11 years, seven years after the accident, 
just again proving that backup catchers like left-handed relievers can play forever. That's amazing, though, that he came back from that. <laughs> yeah, for seven more years. Yeah. All right, 2006, this one's kind of famous, Joel Zumaya of the Tigers. You remember, this guy was a big hulking reliever through 100 miles per hour. In his rookie season, he had a 1.94 ERA, 97 strikeouts, and 83 and a third innings. Wow. Also, a big fan of Guitar Hero on the Xbox. <laughs> so much so that he played it so much that he had to have a wrist surgery because of this. And uh, on the Xbox 360 version of Guitar Hero 2, Zamaya got a special, a special message in the credits which read, no pitchers were harmed in the making of this game, except for one, Joel Zamaya. He That's had it awesome. coming. That's awesome. <laughs> so he only ended up pitching for five years and was pretty average after that surgery. Uh, 2002, Marty Cordova, who was then with the Orioles, he had an unfortunate run-in with a tanning bed. He fell asleep and sustained a sunburn on his face. And what this actually did is he could not play in day games for quite a while. <laughs> and that's, I'm okay. being, being serious. Yeah, the, the doctors said, you know, if you can go play in the evening, but you need to sit out any day games. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention the injury suffered in 1993 by Ricky Henderson. Ricky was on the Blue Jays at this time, and he missed three games in August with frostbite on his left foot because he fell asleep with an ice pack on his foot for too long. That is definitely a weird injury. That is, but you know, that one I can see totally. totally. I'm going to I'm going to give him a pass. He was he was uh he was just icing. What's the big deal? All right, 1990. We've t we've spoken about Glenn Allen Hill in our nicknames episode. Well, in 1990, Glenn Allen Hill was with the Mariners. And if you remember, his nickname is Spider-Man because he is deathly afraid of spiders. <laughs> so, he was put on the DL after he was sleepwalking around his house, as one does, trying to escape spiders in a dream, and he ended up crashing through a glass table in his living room. Wow. What are the odds on that one? I, I'm guessing if you're Glenn Allen Hill, they're probably higher because yeah. dreams about spiders are going to freak you out. Well, I mean, you have to be afraid of spiders. You have to have dreams about spiders. You have to sleepwalk, and you have to have a glass table. Yeah, I guess if you if you if you're prone to sleepwalking, maybe don't have glass furniture. <laughs> All right, so this is a great one. Now I could not come up with a date when this was actually happened, but it was in the late '80s, early '90s. Roger Craig, who was of course the manager for the San Francisco Giants, this is during this is during his managerial career, not when he was a player, because he didn't really have any odd injuries when he was playing. But once he became manager, Craig showed up to a game in the early '90s with an injured hand. And when asked about it, he said that he cut it while fiddling with a bra strap. <laughs> <laughs> so, Roger getting a little randy, getting a little action, and he hurt himself. You know. That's just embarrassing. I uh, couldn't find a date on this one, but Terry Mulholland, so I just kind of put it in the, the late 80s, early 90s segment, uh, while rolling over in a bed in a team hotel, well, on the road, obviously, he uh, reportedly scratched his right eye with a loose feather. <laughs> Is this to imply that this was an actual feather bed or a feather, uh, a goose feather pillow? My guess is it would have been a down pillow. Yeah. And if you've ever slept on a down pillow, they can poke through the little little feather pokey things. Uh, that's that's actually the official 
scientific name for them. The, a little feather, feather pokey, pokey things. Uh, they can stick out. I've never had one pop out and smoke me in the eye, but I could see how it could happen. I thought the only time that pillows were actually filled with feathers are during slumber party you know, pillow fights in movies. Yes, with uh, scantily clad women. Yes, yeah. No, they're, they actually exist. Don't sleep on them. They're going to poke your eye out. Yeah, be careful. Be careful with those down pillows, folks. Uh, this one, I remember this one really well because this was the World Series that got me into baseball. 1985, Vince Coleman of the Cardinals. Of course, Vince Coleman, known for being fast, Vincent Van Gogh. So prior to game four of the 85 NLCS between the Cardinals and the Dodgers, Coleman was run over by Bush Stadium's automatic tarp. The tarp machine was rolling out as rain began to fall during batting practice. He got trapped and injured his leg, which, as I you know, mentioned, pretty big part of his game. He missed the remainder of the series. The Cardinals, of course, would eventually go on to beat the Royals in the World Series. Or No, they, they lost to the Royals in the World Series in seven games because of a BS call at first base. But this, I, I am fascinated by this automatic tarp because it would like come out of the ground and roll over. Like, I mean, today you still got guys rolling actual tarps. Why did they think in 1985 they had the technology to automate this? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a long time ago for an automated tarp. I, I think they may have been ahead of themselves as far as safety is concerned. I'm going to guess the next season this automatic tarp was no longer after injuring their one of their star players. See, no, see, I love Vince Coleman. I, I you know, a great base stealer, a fantastic ball player. Um, but I'm just wondering how fast was this tarp machine? I mean, you couldn't get out <laughs> it's of the quick. Way. They got to get they got to get that thing covered. Yeah. It snuck up on him. I it's mean, just like, well, how no do you how how do you hit a cow standing in the middle of the road? It just kind of sneaks up on you. I I guess I I just would have pictured Vince Coleman like doing a juke move and getting out of the way real easily with this tarp machine, but maybe uh, maybe he was staring at it and it froze him or something. Yeah, who knows, Vince. 1982, Pasquale Perez of the Atlanta Braves. Pasquale missed a crucial start for the Braves because he got lost on the way to the stadium. So. <laughs> He had been traded earlier in the year and still kind of new to the city. And while attempting to find the stadium, he got confused and actually got on what is called the perimeter of Atlanta. It is a circular freeway that goes the whole way around, but never through the city. There's there's 75 and 85, which make it like an X and they meet in downtown. But the perimeter like circles that X. And he, all he did is he just kept driving around this circle until he ultimately ran out of gas because he... He had no idea where he was. So uh, did he ever was... say, hey, look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> A little uh, vacation, European vacation reference. Boom, you got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1967. This one, I had not heard this one, and this one is great. Denny McLean of the Tigers. Denny McLean, not talked about much, but he was an amazing pitcher when he, when oh, he was boy. playing. He had a couple of seasons where he was absolutely dominant. But I believe he was 31 and 6 in yeah, he was, he was He was the last one to, to win 30 games. Yeah. But McLean, uh, he claimed that he stubbed his toes after his, uh, he had fallen asleep while watching television. <laughs> now, he didn't claim to be sleepwalking. He just, I stubbed my toes after I was asleep. So he missed a few key starts, and after returning, he lost the final game of the season as the Tigers fell one game short of the Boston Red Sox 
for the uh, for the pennant. It was later reported by Sports Illustrated that the true source of his dislocated toes was mobster Tony Giacalone. Giacalone. So McLean went on the next season to win 31 games, still the single, uh, the highest single season total of wins since the early 1900s. So I, I did a little bit more, uh, a little bit more research, and he had he had become a bookie apparently while he was still pitching in the major leagues. And uh, somebody had won big, and he was unable to pay out. Oops. <laughs> and so that person, frustrated that they weren't getting their money, went to another mobster. Well, not another, but went to this mobster, who then came and had some guys come and visit Denny McLean and thusly his and, foot. <laughs> and they stubbed his toes for him. They stubbed his toes for him with a baseball bat. <laughs> Don't gamble, kids. Don't do it. Uh, 1933, Clarence Bletham. You remember Clarence? Uh, used to uh, live next door to him. Yeah, of the, of the Knoxville Smokies. Yep, yep, back when I lived in Knoxville. <laughs> so the Red Sox minor league pitcher thought he looked meaner without his false teeth in when he was on the mound pitching. Uh, supposedly, though, he did not think to put them back in his mouth when he batted, and that led to Bletham sliding into second and getting bit on the butt by his own teeth where he had put them. <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. There are a lot of stories about this. Uh, a lot of them seem to uh, exaggerate quite a bit. Uh, he, he did get injured. He stayed in the game. He had a mark on his posterior, and it was sore for a while, but did not... Some I saw some stories that said he was injured for a while and stuff. No, but he did essentially bite himself in his own butt. Yes, you know what? And and the thing is, is that idea of looking meaner by not wearing the false teeth, that whole thing came around to bite him. <laughs> Where did it come around to bite him? <laughs> right in the, uh, as you said, posterior. <laughs> uh, now let's go all the way back to 1904 and Malachi Kittredge. <laughs> Uh, we need to take this one with a rather large pinch of salt. I'm just going to tell you right now, but it was too good not to talk about. So the Washington senators were paying all their players in cash at this point for some other reasons, but uh, they weren't just paying them in large bills. So third baseman Bill Coughlin received his entire salary of $200 in $1 bills, which sounds like a trip to the gentleman's club. Yeah, it sounds like uh, fun. Kittredge, however, the team's catcher, was paid his $300 mostly in dimes and nickels. Well, how, that's not fair. <laughs> that's really not a good idea. He carried uh, his paycheck, essentially, in his pockets until he sprained an ankle. <laughs> because he's probably a little bit off balance with all this. Well, how coin. big were his pockets? <laughs> Apparently he could. Well, he was getting paid three hundred a, a month or whatever, so he could probably afford some big pockets. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe big pockets were in back then. Possibly. So he's got a sprained ankle because of this, and because of that, he missed a train out of New York by six inches. <laughs> so I can just see him like running behind, and like one of his teammates holding his hand out, grab my <laughs> hand, and they like just miss. That's it. I can that, picture it myself. And that led to uh, his suspension, where he was then not paid for a while. So, of course, this is 1904. I'm sure there is quite a bit of embellishment on this story, but I thought that was a fun story. Wow, poor Malachi. 
And then I just wanted to wrap this up with a couple of ranch related injuries because, you know, uh, one of the kind of stereotypical uh, baseball player, you know, archetypes is a, a, a country boy, you know, grew up on a ranch, oh, oh. you know. I thought that. you meant ranch dressing. No, no. Ranch dressing is a whole other episode of injuries caused by ranch dressing. Yeah, that could but, have a show of its own. Yeah. So this year we've had one ranch-related injury where Yoenis Cespedes hurt his ankle when he fell from a horse and lost for the season, which kind of sums up the, the Mets. That That's yeah. just the way things go with the Mets. In uh, 2017, uh, Rangers pitcher Martin Perez... Uh, he fell after being startled by a bull on his ranch. Uh, Perez later revealed, though, that he had then killed the bull and ate it. <laughs> so what this uh, <laughs> what this lets us know is that uh, Martin Perez is a jerk. An angry man. An angry man. And R.I. people. But I thought that'd be fun just to look over some uh, some injuries, some strange injuries. Again, I dare you to point me out a sport that has injuries like this. As weird as baseball, yeah. Does not happen. Yeah, I remember basketball having like guys that had Nintendo thumb, stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, And missing games because they play too much Nintendo. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the whole idea of yourself while lugging $300 worth of dimes down the street, that's unique. Maybe maybe we should try a little. We can We can make a venture into the the video world let's get three hundred dollars worth of nickels and dimes put them in our pockets and walk around and just see how hard it is okay uh jeff i need to borrow three hundred dollars <laughs> well no this is where you the listener comes in <laughs> send your <laughs> let's start a patreon account just for this we cannot return any of the donations uh it just is too much work so there it is there is my segment dubbed dumb injuries so now, Mark, you were the winner of the uh, the coin toss, so you got to go last. So uh, what do you got this week? Yeah, I uh, I actually had a really fun um, experience when I was younger. I got to go see this awesome team called the Colorado Silver Bullets uh, play. They were an all-female professional baseball team, and they played in the U.S. from 94 through 97. Um, they were the first professional women's team to play since – the All-American Professional Baseball League, which was made famous by the movie A League of Their Own. Uh, that league folded in 1954. So 40 years later, the Colorado Silver Bullets are formed. This team was owned by a company called Hope Beckham, Inc. Uh, it was a company that was actually partially owned by Bob Hope. Now, I had no idea that Bob Hope was involved until I started this research. Isn't that cool? I didn't know that Bob. I just, I just always assumed it was all cores. Oh, oh, dude, no, not that Bob Hope. <laughs> Different Bob Hope, a sports promoter. Don't be silly, man. That's crazy talk. Okay. Yeah, Bob Hope, the sports promoter, uh, did a great job promoting these guys. And he, uh, he had tried to put together a women's minor league team called the Sun Sox. They held their tryouts, and they put together, starting to put together a team, but there was no minor league system that would allow them to play in any of the leagues. So it didn't happen. So he decided to put together a barnstorming team. And we've talked about barnstorming on this show multiple times. This is a team that just travels all over the place and plays in, in other cities and other towns. They don't have like a home stadium. So they put together a barnstorming team to challenge men's baseball teams. He uh, ended up landing a corporate sponsorship with Coors Brewing Company, 
$2 million a year, which is nice. And so these guys, the league had, a, or the team had a legitimate starting point, and uh, they called the team the Silver Bullets after the Coors moniker. Coors, of course, the Silver Bullet or the Silver Bullet of Beers. So the Colorado Silver Bullets were funded and formed uh, in 1993 under the ownership of a company called Whittle Communications in Knoxville, Tennessee. The uh, Silver Bullets became the first women's team to be recognized by the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues. Uh, they nice. added, yeah, it was cool. They added credibility by signing Hall of Famer Phil Necro as their manager and a lady named Shireen Sammons. I hope I got that right. S-A-M-O-N-D-S. She was the only female general manager in AA baseball at the time. So they signed her to be their front office, top front office executive. So they added a lot of credibility. They had a really good organization. Tryouts were held at 11 different locations across the country. In the spring of 1994, you know how many women came out to try out for the team, Jeff? I'm guessing, I'm hoping a lot. 1,300. Wow. Yeah, 1,300 women attended these. They had to cut it down to 48 to invite to spring training in Orlando. So from 1,300 down to 48, and then in Orlando, they had to cut the roster down to 24 to start the season. So anybody that made this team was a very special player. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, you've come a long way when you go from 1,300 to one of the final 24. So in 1994, they were barnstorming, playing against different men's team teams. They uh, compiled a 6-38 and 38 record. Uh, they were outscored 51-7 to 7 in their first six games. you got to remember, they're a brand-new team. Uh, you know, nobody starts off completely amazing unless they're a hockey team from Las Vegas. <laughs> anyway, the, the brutal start uh, prompted the team to cancel its remaining scheduled games with any of the Northern League teams. And they started to schedule semi-pro and amateur teams to play instead. And uh, as the season went on, it became increasingly clear that while the Silver Bullets could field and to a lesser extent pitch on par with a lot of their male counterparts, hitting was uh, another story. Uh, it, was, it was pretty rough the, uh, the first year. Catcher third baseman Stacy Sonny led the team in pretty much every offensive category, scoring 11 runs, driving in 11, having 23 hits, and hit 200. As a team, the Silver Bullets that year averaged 1.9 runs a game and hit 154. So it, it, was, it was tough getting going, getting moving, but things improved pretty quickly. And they may have struggled at the plate, but they did not struggle to attract fans uh, during their first season. They normally would play in smaller minor, minor league parks. They attracted crowds of more than 30,000 fans, though, at games in Denver and in San Diego. So people wow. wanted to come out and see them. In fact, I did a little research. I, uh, I got on eBay to see if, if Silver Bullet stuff had, uh, had, if it was selling, if people still sold and traded Silver Bullet stuff. Absolutely, they do. In fact, I'm just looking at items that have sold, not, not listed at, but actually have sold at, uh, I found a, a a snapback hat that sold for 80 bucks, a silver bullets Whoa. hat. Uh, another silver bullets hat that just is it's not even the logo. It just has silver bullets on it. 50 bucks somebody paid for it. There's a lot of these silver bullets, uh, professional baseball, uh, baseballs, and those go for around 20. Uh, the, there is a market that people want to uh, still have good memories of the silver bullets, and it's still selling out there. And it was the same thing back then. It was it was very interesting to people, and is the idea that these women could come out and take on men in, in baseball it was kind of awesome. I was pretty excited about it myself. 
and they uh, ended up, they were coming to Tacoma uh, eventually. And so I was pretty stoked about that. Um, when they played in Tacoma, Jeff, uh, do you know who the official scorer was for that game? <laughs> I'm going to give you a I, guess. Am I, am I talking to him? You're talking to him. Yes, I got the official score, the uh, Silver Bullets game. And so take my place in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it was uh, it was a blast. It was fun to watch. It was televised. And, uh, you know, the announcers hammered me for some of my calls on the air <laughs> live. So I really, excuse me, I really appreciated that. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of a lot of fans coming out to see these guys. And the team actually got way better really quickly. They improved every season. They went they went from six wins in 94 to 11 wins in 90 and 95. And they won 18 games in 1996. Bummer was, uh, unfortunately, as the team improved, attendance dropped. You had they they had some real fans, and they they also had fans who had been attracted to the novelty of the idea of a women's baseball team. The real fans, you know, they did stick around, uh, and the novelty wore off for the casual fans. So attendance kind of waned and and went downward. So it's kind of weird as the team got better, attendance got worse kind of the opposite of real, you know, uh, professional league style baseball. But it, that is, you know, that can be the, uh, the downfall of a barnstorming team like that. Um, they started the 1996 season four and 19, and then they switched to aluminum bats in their 24th game. And they won 14 of their final 30. Wow. So, that's great. Yeah. It, they really turned it around with the aluminum bats. They actually got to go and play some ball in Taiwan. They played six exhibition games against uh, the men's team from the Taiwan Major Leagues. Um, they were outscored 69 to 18 and lost all six games, but they hung with them. They played with the Taiwan Major League players, and, and uh, they played well. Um, unfortunately, things started going a little downhill financially. And they were looking for ways to cut costs. The Silver Bullets established a home base in Albany, Georgia, where they played about half their games in 97. Uh, the coolest thing was in 97, the Silver Bullets finished the season with their first winning record, 23 and 22. So, nice. they, yep, they reached a pinnacle there. And unfortunately, Coors decided they were not going to sponsor the Silver Bullets anymore. So that was the end of that great ball team. A uh, course spokesman said the decision had nothing to do with the team's play. And I was like, well, I, I would hope not because they're a winning team now. So uh, they, they were um, the game that I officially scored. They, they played really well. They really had some good defense on that team. They lost nine to nothing, uh, but uh, it was, it was really fun to watch. They, you know, these, these are talented, talented ball players, And I really enjoyed it. In 96, they actually had two players that hit over 300, which was super cool. Shannon Mitchum and Laura Espinoza Watson both hit over 300. And there was a, a, a girl named Angie. Now she's Mintink. But uh, she had an on-base percentage in 1996 of 414. So pretty solid. Back then, and she the was Mariners Angie Marzetta. Could use that. The yes. Mariners could use that. Yeah, she. We, we might want to get Angie Mintic out there, and, and we we say this knowing who Angie Mintic is, especially you uh, being in Seattle and, and working at the Mariners. But she yeah. was. Do you, you want to let our listeners know who she is? 
Yeah, yeah. She was Angie Marzetta back then, and she was an amazing ball player. And she's currently works for Root Sports and uh, does. Uh, she's one of the announcers and commentators for the Seattle Mariners. And she's, and, and she's she, really good and very interesting. She's, as much as it pains me to say, uh, being a Cougar, she was uh, a, a UW graduate, University of Washington, where she was. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember if she was an All American or what, but she absolutely dominated in in softball there at the University of Washington. Yeah, she was an amazing player, and she was a silver bullet. And and boy, could she get on base! Pretty impressive. Uh, the first ever home run by a silver bullets player was hit by Kim Bratz, B-R-A-A-T-Z. Outfielder Tammy Holmes, uh, University of California, Berkeley, four-time All-American College basketball and volleyball player, became the first silver bullet, the first woman to hit two home runs in a single season. Nice. So that, that's fun. As I said, they just kept getting better and kept getting better. In 1997, their final year, they went into their last game of the season with a record of 22-22. and 22. And they pulled off a huge win in that final game and finished with a winning record. Phil Necro, the manager, described that final game as being as exciting as a World Series game. I have no doubt about that. Just too fun. So uh, another thing here, uh, I can't talk about 97 season without mentioning what we call the brawl. Uh, you can't talk about the Silver Bullets really without bringing up the brawl. It's, uh, I remember this. It's I classic. remember this quite a bit, yes. Yeah, June 11th, 1997, Colorado was playing a team called the America's Travelers. They were uh, state champions of the Georgia uh, Recreation Parks 18 and Under League, whoever. Anyway. it's a, And this is a men's team. Men's team, yeah, absolutely. With two outs in the ninth and down 10 to 6, Kim Bratz of the Silver Bullets was plunked, hit in the back on an 0-1 pitch from a guy named Greg Dominey. I bring up his name because, you know, he's a big, tough guy. The uh, Silver Bullets had, had blown a four-run lead that game, so there was a lot of frustration going on. Bratz was on her way to take her base at first when uh, Mr. Domini starts laughing. Okay. Give me a freaking break, dude. Greg, you're do a you jerk. Honestly, do you honestly think that if he hit some big, burly catcher, he would be laughing at him as he went to first base? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're a jerk, Greg. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I just, I saw that and I'm like, you know what, whatever. But he, he would suffer the consequences of showing a batter up by getting charged, man. They let, he probably thought, ah, she'll never run out here. Is she, uh, the dude was laughing and it ticked her off. She did what any good ball player would do. She charged the mound. Bench is cleared. <laughs> we had a brawl. Uh, quoting Phil Necro, who talked about it. He said the America's catcher was saying stuff like, we're going to knock you down on this pitch. And the umpire had told him to stop. In the ninth, the catcher said something to Kim. She told him, just catch the game. And then the next pitch, she got hit. And then, as Necro says, all havoc broke loose. Some of our <laughs> players got in some pretty good licks, and some of our players got hit. He said, I hate to see it, but it's part of baseball. Fortunately, no one was uh, injured seriously. But, uh, again, the Silver Bullets let us know, don't mess with us. You know, we know what we're doing out here. Uh, uh, some accomplishments that came out of it. Uh, one of their players, Julie Croteau, went on to become the first woman to coach college baseball at uh, UMass Amherst. Uh, but interestingly, before she made the Silver Bullets, she actually made the men's baseball team as a walk-on at St. Mary's College of Maryland, 
which is a Division three school, which is pretty flipping impressive. Uh, she and Ketchum both signed uh, after the after the ninety seven season. They both signed with the Hawaii Winter Baseball League. So it was a men's league, but they both signed a, a contracts to go and play with the uh, with these men's teams in Hawaii in winter. Another pitcher, Pam Davis, pitched in a guest appearance with the Class AA Jacksonville Suns, and she actually threw a scoreless inning of relief against the Australian men's Olympic team in 1996. So some pretty cool stuff that went on uh, during and after the Silver Bullets' uh, amazing run. I, You know, I, I think it's time to try it again, man. I'd love to see another women's professional team. Yeah, so – a couple of things. First of all, if if women in baseball is really, you know, taking some big steps forward right now, uh, some coaches, um, a lot of leagues forming. And I, I'll tell you something. If you want to go and check out our friends over at uh, No Crying in Baseball podcast, mm-hmm. they uh, cover quite extensively uh, a lot of the women's tournaments. They have uh, a lot of guests on uh, that have played in that uh, played in some tournaments, and they follow the U.S. Uh, teams and some of these uh, local teams. Uh, no crying in baseball podcast is a great resource, um, as, as well as just a great baseball podcast. Um, they do a great job over there. Uh, we also we talked to uh, when we talked to Trevor from the Hanshin Tigers English News earlier this year. I had asked him about the uh, women's professional baseball league in Japan. Because when I had gone over there for the A's Mariners to begin the season, I saw ads for this, and he didn't know a whole lot about it. I started following uh, some some accounts on Twitter uh, from these Japanese women's leagues, and they stream a lot of these games live. I watched a couple of innings just the other night. They play in normal stadiums. They do use aluminum bats, but it's very interesting. Uh, they are, as the Japanese men, they are absolutely proficient at everything they do it's a lot of fun to watch yeah but uh yeah i think women women in baseball and and women's baseball leagues are are interesting and i think they're probably something we're gonna see more of in the future here pretty soon too yeah i hope so because uh, these guys watching the silver bullets play was an absolute thrill because man you just you know you have a mindset of okay yeah men versus women whatever and you see them out there and they're amazing so fun to watch is there video of that bench clearing brawl? You know, I'm honestly not sure. I didn't look because, you know, I, I have to use one of them internet machines. <laughs> well, look, if, if we can find some, we'll, we'll, throw it in, we'll throw it in the show notes because that Absolutely. must be an interesting thing to see. I'm, I'm sure that, uh, what's his name, Greg? Uh, the pitcher? Yeah, yeah Greg. I'm Greg sure Greg's, Greg's mom has probably tried to scrub that from the internet. but Oh, no, not, not with me around, pal. I'm laughing at you now. <laughs> I'll bet you. I'll bet you. Greg Domini has since apologized and tried to make amends for it. I'm going to give I him the benefit of the doubt, so. but yeah, he let's let's hope so. It'd be the classy thing to do. Good job, Greg. <laughs> Great job, man. Anyway, that's uh, that's my take on uh, Colorado Silver Bullets, uh, an amazing team of of history in baseball. All right. So uh, let's now head back into, I, I told you last week, I reminded you that we brought back second best last week. Well, we're, we're bringing back Wax Pack Heroes this week because I've got, I've got two packs of baseball cards in my hands. I've got a 1991 Leaf and a 1991 Flare Ultra. 
Uh, I am going to, uh, although we're in separate locations, so I don't even have to like make a big show of, you know, swapping hands. No. Uh, which uh, which hand do you want to uh, to open this week, Mark? Left or right? We're gonna go right. All right. So you've got the ninety one Flare Ultra. So uh, if you are joining us for the first time, what we like to do, we open up uh, a couple of old packs of baseball cards. I have got in front of me, I've got a Beckett baseball card monthly from May 1992. That way it helps us have at least some value to these cards that we thought were going to make us rich. And then uh, we'll open them up. We'll reminisce about some of the players that we see and we'll total them up. And whoever has the highest amount at the end of the game wins. Uh, currently, Mark is in the lead four games to three, and uh, commons are worth nothing. So if they are not listed in Beckett, they are given no value. All right, so here we go with your uh, 1991 Flare Ultra. Looking at the uh, Becketts from 1992, at that time, commons uh, were going for two cents a piece on this. And these are some actually some good-looking cards. Uh, they've got gray borders, but they've got some nice nice pictures. Yeah, the Ultras were a little bit thicker, a little bit sturdier. Yeah, they definitely are a little bit thicker. All right, so you're going to lead off with the one dog, or the hit dog. Do you know who that is? The hit dog. The hit dog. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, um, that was Mo Vaughn. No. Ah, oh, you sure? I, I, I tend to believe that he might have been the hit dog, maybe, a, but this was the one dog. Maybe that uh, was maybe he would, didn't have two nicknames, but this is Lance Johnson for the Chicago White Sox. I see. Uh, but Lance Johnson is not worth anything. That's no, a common. That's common. Uh, as here we get. go. Here's a Hall of Famer, Tom Glavin. Hey, hey how about Braves? That? Good left. Uh, that is worth seven cents. Nice yes, go. I am up. Okay, I'm going to give you another nickname. Let's see if you can tell me who it is. The Governor. Sean Casey. No. Uh, this is, and maybe because you're not a California resident, this is Jerry Brown, utility oh, infielder. Okay. Okay. Uh, here we go, noted uh, DUI expert, Mark Grace, first baseman for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, I, I, I was a big Mark Grace fan. Uh, he comes in at seven cents as well, so you just doubled your score right there. Hey, hey Jeff, I, uh, yes. I remembered I, Sean Casey was not the governor. He was the mayor. The mayor, because he liked to talk to everybody. He, he, he was, was very everybody's best friend, from what I'm told. <laughs> All right, next you got uh, Orioles outfielder Mike Devereaux. Mike Devereaux uh, came up with the Dodgers, didn't he? Uh, well, one of the definite downfalls of the uh, 91 Flare Ultra is they only give you the last year's stats and then major league total. Oh. So the back of these cards, as nice as the front of the cards look, the back of the cards are pretty crappy. It's a... A gradient color, and then there's three smaller pictures of the player, and they don't leave any room for stats. So it's disappointing. Oh well, I I happen to I have an internet machine with me, and I looked it up. He did come up with the Dodgers, eighty-seven, eighty-eight, and was nice. traded to the Orioles. All right, uh, I'm going to give you another nickname: Spuds McKenzie. Chris Sabo. You got it. Yeah. So uh, Sabo, he of the sports glasses, is worth three cents. The sports glasses and the uh, rubber ball uh, filled bat. Yes, and the anger at every umpire that ever made a call that didn't his, go his way. It's not a strike unless Mr. Sabo swings at it. The only guy that complained more, I think, about balls and strikes would be Paul O'Neill, who never <laughs> took a real called strike in his career because nope. he was always right. 
<laughs> All right. Next, we've got Bruno Tom Bernanski. Tom Bernanski, yes, Minnesota Twins. Yeah, this is this card. He's with the uh, with the Red Sox, but yeah, I definitely think of him as a twin more yeah. than often, uh, more than not. Uh, next, Ramon Martinez, brother to Pedro. This one's with the Dodgers. Yep. Um, Ramon is actually worth eight cents. He's your he's your high score. Uh, Ramon Martinez was big uh, up and coming guy. I had a friend who collected his cards, but kept calling him Raymond Martinez. <laughs> Raymond Martin. Yes. Uh, yeah. So in ninety, well, he had a good year. Twenty and six with the two point nine ERA, two hundred and twenty three yeah. strikeouts in two hundred and thirty four innings. So yeah. yeah, yeah, he was like his brother, a little slight, small yep. guy. But man, could he bring the heat. Yeah. So that's a big, big one for you there. Here we go. Another Hall of Famer, Dave Winfield. Oh, yeah. Here he is in an Angels uniform. Dave Winfield. Uh, before Robin Ventura, Dave Winfield was the last guy to charge the mound on Nolan Ryan. Just oh, so. really? I have not seen that. I got to look that up. I would never bet against Dave Winfield in a fight. Oh, Just I'd a have been, I would have been running the other direction. Game. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd have been running. I think we've I'm talked sorry about sorry I hit you, sir. Sir. We've I'm so we've sorry. talked about him in the past. He was drafted by the NBA. Yeah. He was drafted by the NFL. Yeah. Um I, pure athleticism athlete. and a yeah. huge athlete too. Yeah. He's worth seven cents. You're you're, yes. you're pulling some good some good cards here. Yeah. Oh now this is appropriate that we've spoken about women in baseball. Casey Candell. <laughs> wow. Wow, what a lead in. Uh, Casey Kendale, uh, utility guy for the Astros, I believe. Yes, but do you know why I let in like that? I do not. Oh, his mother played in the All uh, Women's Professional Baseball League. Oh, I thought you were insulting him. No, no, <laughs> that's, we're not that kind of show. I was no, like, his, dude, come on, that's out of character. No, yeah, no, his his uh, it was either his. I, it has to have been his mother. Was a member of the uh, of the. You know, the league that was the American uh, baseball club. Yeah. Profiled in, in the league of our own. Uh, it wasn't on that club, I don't think, but was in the league. That's awesome. Uh, uh, next, we've got Tim Belcher for the Dodgers. All right. So you got three cards left. Here's I love. I like this guy. BJ Surhoff. I always uh, loved BJ Surhoff. This is when he was listed as a catcher still mm -hmm. for the Milwaukee Brewers. Catcher hit left handed, had a little bit of pop. Yep. And uh, next we've got, go ahead. I was going to say, I believe he moved to third base. Yeah, yeah. He came up as a catcher and then, then got moved. And then I think he might have even finished up in the outfield. Yeah. For the Orioles, I think he I was think like right. right. Uh, next you've got Jose Rijo, pitcher for the Reds. <laughs> Jose Rijo, one of my first baseball collectibles was Jose Rijo's television. Yep, we've talked about that. I have discussed that. it before. <laughs> the man gave me his TV and I treated it like gold because it came from Jose Rijo, man. <laughs> I should have had him sign the screen, you know, so when I'm watching it, I could always go, yeah, I got So you couldn't actually Rijo. see very well what was coming across on the standard definition broadcast because his autographs right across right. the screen. I would, have, I would have gladly given up, you know, visually enjoying television shows to have Jose Rijo's autograph on my TV. <laughs> Surprised you never asked for it back. Uh, and then we finish up with Mark Gubiza, pitcher for the Royals. Another solid, good righty, uh, starting pitcher, won a lot of games. 
Yes, he did. So, all right. So that wraps up your set. You have got 32 cents worth of baseball cards right there. I that won't spend it all in one place. That is retirement money right Absolutely. there. <laughs> I am going to guess maybe one or two of those cards might be worth even a penny today. But we're, uh, we're, we're taking it back like it's, uh, what year did I say this was? 1992. All right. So that means I am going to get, uh, my pack is going to be the Leaf set from 1991. Uh, likewise, a cello pack. Just like yours. Yours is a lot lot better looking cards than mine, though, I will tell you that. Well, kind of like us as human beings. Let's not go that far. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look at these. Uh, I am starting off uh, with Jeff King, third baseman for the Pirates. Uh, I have no memory of him. Oh, really? He played for quite a while. Uh, he was on the Pirates a lot. I don't remember him from anybody else, but yeah, just... Epitome of a common. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hoyles, catcher for the Orioles. Uh, hmm. Wow. Chris Hoyles is worth seven cents. Seven cents I, seems to be a, a common value. <laughs> he must have been like an up and coming player at the time. Now, let's see. Chris Hoyles. Uh, yeah, he had, he had uh, 29 games under his belt at the major league level. So. Anybody at that time that was a rookie and had a rookie card was somehow collectible, just in case. Seven cents, straight yep. across the board. <laughs> uh, here we go, Jeff Burke, pitcher for the Expos. I remember Jeff Burke. I remember the name, but nothing really about him. But uh, not surprisingly enough, not worth anything. Yeah. Oh, here we go. This is a good name. Ben McDonald, pitcher Big for ben. the Orioles. One and, of my uh, favorite players of all time. This is this probably could be well. It's not considered his rookie card. He did get into six games in '89, but uh, he had a yeah, number one what, draft pick card, I believe, with score. Yeah, I yeah, I think he was number one in their set at one point, even because he was very highly touted. And I think you're right. He was a uh, let's see, number one choice in the June '89 draft. Yeah, from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Do you do you remember what his hobby in the offseason was? Um, hunting and wrestling alligators. Bingo! Yep, he used to wrestle <laughs> alligators in the offseason, which is really what you want your players doing after you sign yeah. them to a multi-million dollar contract. Yeah, I, I can just imagine those contract negotiations. You've got to let me keep wrestling alligators. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. They're my friends. It's how I get my pitching strength. Yes, I, uh, dude, I loved Ben McDonald. I was a huge fan. Well, that card is worth 15 cents right there. So that just took a big chunk out of your lead. Ouch. I don't like him well, as much anymore. <laughs> Here is one of my favorites, the big cat, Andres Galarraga. Andres the giant Galarraga. And what I like most about, this is a common card, but this is when he's with the Expos. So he's wearing the Expos batting practice attire yeah. like that. Uh, next, we got Jimmy Key, left-hander for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yep. Uh, serviceable strat pitcher. <laughs> Very serviceable as he was in the league for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Oh, I got a lot of Expos. Uh, Spike Owen, shortstop. Spike Owen hit the shortest home run I've ever seen clear a major league fence. It, it almost got pinned between the foul pole and the fence itself. It just kind of fluttered in there. And kind of grabbed the top of the fence and pulled itself over. It was pretty hilarious. 
<laughs> but hey, it's a home run in the scorebook. Yeah, it looks like a moonshot in, in the score. In That's the score. right. Uh, all right, we got catcher Don Slot, the Buckos. A good hitter, a good hitting catcher. That is a common. Uh, here we go, Marquise Grissom. There's, I think we've talked about him before. Another he certainly fast, made his rounds. Base stealer guy. He is worth 10 cents. Sweet. There you go. You, you, this, I believe uh, you passed me. Uh... 30, I've tied you. We are dead. We're oh. headed to the bottom of the ninth. I got to pull and for some commons. <laughs> uh, this would not be considered Marquise's rookie card. He had 26 games in 89. But uh, yeah, I like. I remember he was on the Braves when I was at the Braves. And I enjoyed it. He could run, man. All right, I'm going to give you another nickname. Tell me whose card I'm looking at. Spanky. Um... Mike Lavalier. You got it. Ah, I yes. love me some Spanky. This picture oh, on awesome. the back of the card, it's a very small space for his for his face, but it fits because his face was like so scrunched together. <laughs> it was like he was always sucking on a lemon head or something. Yeah, I I, I always loved Mike or uh, Mike Lavalier. He was he was uh, a good hitter. Uh, and, and just, you look at him and go, I'm so glad he's a baseball player. Yeah, I bet you he's like the nicest person in the world. He hey, actually he's, across that he's probably a jerk, but he looks like the nicest person in the world. <laughs> he does. He does. Uh, he, he played, uh, and let's see here. He played in over almost 900 games in his career. Yeah, again, be a backup catcher and you play forever. Hmm, that's my point. <laughs> um, Oh, look at that. And he's uh, a bats left, throws right guy. Yes, he was a left-handed hitting catcher. One of my favorite things. Uh, next, we got Dave Martinez, again with the Expos. I am racking up the Expos. We have been hitting Expos all day. Yeah. Uh, now, I think you've caught a... We're still tied, and I think you've caught a break here. I've got something that just says leaf set. It's <clears> not numbered. It's not a checklist. It's just telling me that, hey, you're looking at Leaf baseball cards. <laughs> it's, it's not like an instant winner or anything? You want no, a Leaf set? No, no. I'd I hate... love to see you mail that in now. <laughs> but I, I, I don't even need to look at these next three cards at their values. I know I beat you. I have oh. got three great cards here to end up my pack. Uh, first, I'm going to start with Tom Gordon. Oh, man. Got to love Tom Gordon. So, yeah, we can talk a lot about Tom Gordon. Father to D. Gordon. And the only baseball player to appear in the title of a Stephen King story. Absolutely. That is that is the next thing I was going to mention. Do you remember what the title is? The Boy Who Loved Tom Gordon. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm impressed. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, surprisingly enough, that card is not worth anything. So you, you, you've, you've gotten one out here in the bottom of the night. We got lucky. Uh, next, we are going to go. I'm just going to say Washington State alumni. Johnny Olerud? John Olerud. Oh, this you win. One. <laughs> this is not his rookie card. He played six games the year before. Uh, this is him, obviously, with the Blue Jays, who he came up with. And uh, 20 cents for Mr. Olerud. Oh, man. Dude, uh, this card was definitely trading higher than 20 cents when I had this uh, while I was, a, you know, at school and collecting cards, though, I'll tell you that. John Olerud is absolutely one of my favorite first basemen of all time. I, I 
I'm not sure I'd put him up that far, but I like him a lot because, you know, I, I would see him when I was at school. He was there before he'd go to spring training. He'd be working out with the with the Cougars baseball team. Came That's back. great. Yeah. Then I'm going to finish up with somebody that we featured on the show uh, during uh, one of our musical segments where he does about the whitest white guy rap about Ford trucks ever, <laughs> Mr. Brett Saberhagen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a solid song. I've been listening to that. <laughs> so Sabes is worth five cents. Uh, I already know that I've won. Let's just see how much I've won by putting my Washington State education here to uh, to it to the test is yeah i don't uh, i don't do the mathematics thing i have totaled 57 cents oh, compared and I to your that's 32. higher than my score that is well let's just double check is 50 uh, alexa is 57 higher than 32 yes it is so ah. that is a win for me i haven't had so one goes, for a while so goes my win streak yeah there goes your win streak and we are now tied four to four wow that would still, if we were doing individual packs, though, would still not even come close to our guest leader, who was uh, Ben from the Diamonds and Roses podcast, who finished with 93 cents. Yes. Because yeah. that Griffey card. We were, we were devastated. Yeah. Now, I do want to mention, uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this prior, but uh, Ben uh, from the Diamonds and Roses podcast, he and I had a little bet uh, when the... Uh, the West Coast League had their uh, their finals, and uh, we each took a team and made a bet we'd have to make an announcement on our podcast if we lost. Well, if you haven't noticed, I have not had to make an announcement. Uh, if you <laughs> want to go over and catch the latest episode of the Diamonds and Roses podcast, you will hear Ben lament on how he made the wrong decision about being a Red Sox fan and how he probably should have been an A's fan. Yeah, nice. And and a stand-up guy for paying up and, and paying paying the bet off. So thank you, Ben. That is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. So I'm going to put a link to that, and I will put a link to the uh, No Crying in Baseball podcast as well. A couple of, yeah, a couple of our podcast buddies. Yeah. All right. So uh, that will wrap up our show for today. Um, just a reminder that we do uh, we're pretty active on the social medias. If you want to. Uh, follow us we would sure appreciate it you can uh, get information about uh, the shows that we've got coming out uh, as well as just some of the uh, goofy stuff that we like to talk about about baseball we can be found at two strike noise at both twitter and instagram that is at t-w-o strike noise mark we have a very special show coming up next week don't we i uh, believe it's going to be a, a big one and uh, the weight on my shoulders is almost unbearable so if you have not looked at the title of this show, this is episode number 33. So that would mean next week's show is episode number 34, which just happens to be the jersey number of a famous Texan that, that pitched yes. for quite a while. My, my favorite player of all time, Mr. Nolan Ryan. And uh, it's time to do, to do a show about the Express himself. All right, so uh, that will be next week. It will be our Nolan Ryan Spectacular. So uh, be sure to join us for that. So until then, uh, like thank you for joining us uh, for another edition of uh, Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.